0: I don't know if you uh, remember, sometimes I can't remember what I did last week, much less yesterday. Are you in that boat? You know, I'm, I'm turning into an old man, 55, about to be 56, and stuff just happens like that. But uh, there, there is an event that uh, I will never forget. In fact, uh, I have a little calendar I keep uh, in my desk, the top right hand drawer. Uh, Tim, I have kept a calendar of my ministry ever since 1982. But all those calendars are in a box somewhere that I don't know where it's at. But I know where this calendar is. It's in my desk right beside me. And sometimes I'll pull it out and just reflect. Because 83, 1983, 34 years ago is a good year for me, man. Ooh, good year. I remember what I was doing a year ago, or 34 years ago this very day. It's right here in my calendar. In fact, on yesterday, May the 13th, 1983, I graduated from Hillsdale, Free Will Baptist College, which is Randall right now. Thank God I graduated. That's what I read. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God and Greyhound. It's gone. It's done with. But here's, here's what I remember 34 years ago that's etched into my mind. In fact, let me just show you a picture because a picture's worth the There it is right there. Wow. 34 years ago today. Right there. Man. Woo. Wow. Who is that foxy lady? Wow. She's right there, right there. I'll never forget when I asked her mother if I could marry her. Piggy just sat there and said, well. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, that was it right there. Man, Norman First Free Will Baptist Church, 34 years ago, May the 14th, 1983. Here's what I wrote in my, in my little calendar. Best day of my life. Big day. It was a big day. 7 p.m., Norman First Free Will Baptist Church. She said, I do, I did, and we were done right there, man. You know, I don't don't know if you can remember your wedding day. Raise your hand if you can. Okay, that's good enough, (laughs) y'all. Don't want to embarrass any of the guys here. You know, there are a few things etched into my memory about that day. I I don't remember the exact words that I spoke back to her, but you know what? I do, because Brother Joe Grizzle married us, and Joe gave me his ceremony, and I've used that ceremony for years, marrying couples, but I don't remember saying it. I was kind of in a daze. It was a love daze. I was, I was in the love days. I, so I don't remember all, but I do remember this. Next picture, after it's over with, uh, next picture, walking down. There it is. There I am. I remember that right there. My buddy was back there taking photos, and I gave him one of these. Did her. Man, got her. Always wanted to marry a cheerleader. Got me one. Woo! Man. I was riding high that day. Man, I I love weddings, man. It's it's a great event, right? Don't you love weddings? Oh, I got some wedding stories for you, man. I've seen it all. Uh, During one wedding rehearsal, the groom asked the minister, uh, hey, dude, let me make you an offer. He said, look, when when we get to that part where I'm supposed to give the vow and I'm I'm supposed to uh, say uh, to love, honor, and obey forever, I'd appreciate it if you'd just leave that off. And he slipped the preacher a $100 bill. Now, can I tell you, we are saints, preachers, but we're mortal men as well. And so the preacher accepted the $100 bill, (laughs) stuck it in his pocket. The next day, of course, was the wedding and the bride and groom are in front of the church. And everybody's there. And they come to that part in the ceremony where the vows are exchanged. And when it came time for the groom's vows, the minister looked at that young man and said... Will you promise to humble yourself before your wife daily? Obey her every command and wish. Serve her breakfast in bed every morning of your life. And swear eternally before God and your lovely bride that you will not ever even look at another woman so long as you both shall live. The groom gulped and kind of looked around, and then a little tiny mousy voice said, yes. And then he leaned in and asked, hey, hey, Rev, what happened? I thought we had a deal. And so the preacher gave him back his $100 bill and said, she made me a better offer. (laughs) Weddings are great, aren't they? They are a time of celebration. We enjoy the company of those that we love and We rejoice at the new bond of unity and commitment between two people. But anybody who's ever planned a wedding knows there's a whole lot of work involved. Come on, people, right? Wow. Everything has to be done just right. The bride, she'll spend all day getting ready for the event. The groom, he spends 20 minutes... But that's twice as long as he spends normally getting ready. All right. There it is. Everything is said. Everything is ready. The the meal is set. Can I just stop right here and say I don't know what has happened in America, but could we go back? Could we go back to the day that after a wedding, all we serve is a little slice of cake and some nuts and a little bit of punch? Could we do that? I mean, what's wrong with that? And if you want to splurge, we can put the colored mints in there, okay? But everything is set. The preacher's in place. The rehearsal has helped everybody to know exactly where to stand. And yet, in spite of all the practices, all the preparation, all the plannings, most weddings will have at least one glitch. Glitch. Something you hadn't planned on. It goes crazy. Last wedding I did was just a few weeks ago. Miss Gail was there, it happened to be her son's wedding we're at Kiowa Island, South Carolina. Uh, Let me just give you the setting of this wedding. We're at this beautiful, beautiful resort. We're in the courtyard of the resort. My back is to the ocean. The people are standing out there, the the, uh, bride and groom, and man, I don't know how many groomsmen Lucas had, like 14 or 15 or 20. I don't know. There are all these guys and all these beautiful girls standing up there, and they had custom suits on and beautiful dresses. It It was an absolutely beautiful setting. In fact, we kind of got a picture here that was taken There's right between those two groomsmen. Can you see that guy back there? Gail's son-in-law, Jimmy, took this picture, and after, right after the wedding, he said, he said, Brother Will, I should have been listening to what you were saying, but I couldn't, I couldn't listen to what you were saying because I was watching that guy behind you. I said, well, what guy? He said, "There's this big old fat guy. Between you and the ocean, and he just kept walking around back there, kind of looking at what was going on. And he'd walk and he'd kind of look a little bit, and then he came over here and he looked a little more, and then he pulled his shirt off. And he said he had this big old huge gut, this big old beer belly, and he just kept standing there and scratching. Can I say? Jen's mom and dad spent a ton of money on that wedding. I mean, it was an expensive wedding. They didn't pay for that. (laughs) But you know what? Isn't that like life? You know, sometimes things happen that you don't plan on, but it just happens. And I can guarantee you it is going to happen in Over the years of my ministry, I've done hundreds of weddings. And i tell you what, I've seen all kinds of mistakes at weddings. I've seen brides giggle uncontrollably through the whole wedding. I've seen the groom faint. I've seen other people faint. I've seen the little ring bearer lay down on the stage and take a nap. And I've had plenty of other weddings where I just wished and prayed that that little ring bearer would lay down and take a nap. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I've seen the minister fall down the steps. Fortunately, the bride broke my fall. (laughs) When these kinds of disasters happen, we're we're a little embarrassed, but we generally just laugh and, and we move on because that's not the really important part of a wedding. The really important part of a wedding is happening between the groom and the bride. As they stand there before God, and they make that commitment to love each other and cherish each other and honor each other till death do you part. So you know what? We do want that day to be special. We do want things to go great. Did you know that Jesus' first miracle happened because His mother, Mary, was concerned about a large potential disaster... At a wedding. Jesus' first miracle occurred at a wedding. What happened? They ran out of grape juice. And there was about to be a whole lot of embarrassment because of it. You can find that story in John's Gospel, chapter 2. In fact, that's where we're going to go, and I'm going to read you the story. Don't worry, I'm going to read all 11 verses, but my sermon is only one statement in one of these verses. Now, Tim, I've preached this this passage probably four or five times through my year. I I try to avoid it because of that grape juice that's mentioned in here. But uh, the last time I preached this was just a year ago. Y'all remember me preaching? I am so glad that my sermons make such an impact on your life. No, a year ago, I was doing a series on I Need a Miracle. Y'all remember that series? Great. I Need a Miracle. And this was the very first sermon a year ago, last April, I Need a Miracle, because it's the first miracle that Jesus performed. Here it is, a story. John chapter 2, On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, or mother, What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother then turned to the servants and said, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing about 20 to 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And then he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was now made into wine... And did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good stuff until now. This was the beginning of signs or miracles that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and his disciples believed in him. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. So here we are in Cana of Galilee, and a social disaster was in the making. Now, I can tell you weddings in that day and in that time and that location were a whole lot different than weddings are today. Jewish weddings would take place late in the evening after a full day of feasting. The daughter of the, the father of the bride would take his daughter on his arm in tow with the entire wedding party, and they would parade down the streets of the village in which they lived so that everyone could come out and wish the bride well. The father, as he weaved his way through the village, would end up at the groom's parents' house. And it was at the front door of the groom's parents' house that the wedding ceremony would take place. And I'm telling you, it was a great ceremony. It was a great festivity. It was a great celebration. After the ceremony was over with, the bride and groom would go back through the village the wedding party behind them holding torches, and all the people of the village would come back out and they would celebrate the new marriage. Well, there was no such thing as a honeymoon back then. The couple went back to the groom's parents' house and they would entertain guests for up to a week. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? And this young couple was treated like royalty. They would wear fancy clothes, and sometimes they would even put crowns on their heads. And the groom's family, specifically the father of the groom, had to foot the bill. That's what we do, though. I told Angie the other day, I said, baby, after... After 34 years of being married to you and having three kids and getting them almost all raised and out of the house, I've figured out what my job is. Here's my job description as the father of this family and as your husband. This is the, this is the man's job at 905 Carrie Lane. Here it is. Got three things I do feed, clothe, and protect. That's my job. Feed, clothe, protect. And go fill up vehicles when they run out of gas. <laughs> That's thrown in there, okay? That's my job, feed, clothe, and protect. Can I, can I just stop right here and do a little pause? She does so much more. I gave her a, 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 can I tell them about the Mother's Day card I gave you? Do you mind if I tell you I'm going to anyway, so it doesn't matter if you. <laughs> here, here's the, can I tell you that, I wasn't thinking back in 1983. I really wasn't. I was, it was the love days I was in. I was in this love days. And so I really wasn't thinking. Because if I'd have been thinking, I would have spread things out a little bit better. But Angie's birthday is May the 10th. You got Mother's Day right in there, May 10th, 14th. And we got married on May 14th. Not very good planning on my part. I got three whammies right in a row. I'm broke right now. Okay? Okay. Anyway, I got her this Mother's Day card today. I hope, hope I'm not making you guys feel bad, but, you know, I just, I love my wife so much. Yeah. Gave her this Mother's Day card, along with a birthday card, along with a birthday gift, along with an anniversary card, an anniversary gift, right? <laughs> You're wondering if I had a rock star this morning, aren't you? Like let's, It was a monster drink today, all right? For, anyway, I gave her this, this Mother's Day card with uh, Miss Incredible on the front. You know who Miss Incredible is? What's her name? look, oh, Blaster Girl? I did it right, Blaster Girl. Y'all know what I'm talking about? She can just stretch, and y'all know. Yeah, yeah. Well, act like you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, she was on the Miss Incredible was on the front of it, and that's what the whole card was about. You are incredible. My wife is absolutely incredible. And then I did a little bit of artwork because I'm not an artist, but I like to draw. And so on the inside of the card, I drew this wagon wheel, okay, and with the, the spokes on it. And then the inside of the wheel is called the what? The hub. And I wrote inside the hub, Angie. Because I mean, that's what Angie is. She is the hub of the wheel of my family. I got three jobs. I don't even remember them now. What were they? (laughs) Feed, clothe, and protect. She does everything else. What a woman. (laughs) Gary, I'm scoring some brownie points today, man. I'm I'm just going to keep rolling. When my kids have a problem, maybe they're having an interpersonal relationship or an issue at school or some kind of crazy problem, they don't come talking to daddy because I just feed and Protect. I say, go figure it out. I don't know. what. They to... <laughs> go to mama. Aren't you glad for your wife and for your mama, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I was saying all that to tell you, it, the weddings back then, it was the daddy of the groom who had to pay for everything, because that's what we do. But in the midst of that great celebration, they ran out of Welch's grapefruit juice. The unimaginable has happened. Now, now I know you can't wrap your mind around that, so let me just tell you like this. Uh, Ken, one day we were going down to Texas, and it was late in the evening, and and we stopped in Spyro to get something to eat. And we stopped at Sonic, and we ordered a, a a bucket of burgers. We wanted five burgers at Sonic with fries. And they came back on the little intercom saying, as they said, We're sorry, but we ran out of hamburger meat. <laughs> and we just kind of looked at each other. And I pushed the button again and I said, What? <laughs> I, yeah, sorry, we ran out of hamburger meat. And I'm thinking, This is what you do. You make hamburgers. How in the world could you run out of hamburger patties? (laughs) Now does it make sense what we're talking about, right? They they ran out of wine. And it was a catastrophe. The lid was about to blow off. But you know what? Jesus came through. Jesus performed a miracle. We read about it. It was amazing. That's not the point of my message today. What I want you to note on this Mother's Day is the faith that Mary had in Jesus. You see that? The faith Mary had in Jesus. For 30 years, she had watched her son increase in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and with man. She knew that he had the power to turn a disaster into a miracle. And so there she is. I don't, sometimes I close my eyes and try to imagine the, the scene or the picture and, and the people who were there. And I, I, I closed my eyes this week and I tried to imagine Mary standing there, the mother of Jesus. She's not, she's not a young teenage girl anymore because Jesus is 30 years old. So she had to be at least 45 years old. She's a grown woman, a mature woman. She's had other kids. She's, she's raised the Son of God. And I can just see her standing there. It's, it's late in the evening. She sees the disaster as it's unfolding. And then she does it. She does the mama thing. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's the mama move. I, I don't know that she put her hand on her hip and cocked it out like that. but I know this look. (laughs) It's the mama look. I grew up with that look. It's a little bit different now with my kids, but they know the mama look, don't you? You know the mama look. When mama looks at you and it's like, okay, mama's, mama's about to tell me something I really need to pay attention to. It's the eyes. I know it's the eyes in that one right there. She can do the hip thing too. I've seen it. But Mary did it. She gave the look, not to Jesus, but to the servants. And then she said at verse 5, this is what Mama said. Mama said, there you go. Name of my sermon, Mama said. (laughs) You see that guy over there? That good looking, tall, thirty year old man? It's my boy. Whatever he says, do it. That's my sermon right there. Isn't that good? (laughs) That's it. I'm going to expound. Don't worry. Okay. I'm going to expound, but I I do have to say this. I I have spent my entire life reading and studying the Word of God. I've been pastoring for 33 years. I graduated Bible college, went to seminary. I've spent my life studying this book. I can tell you without a doubt or question or hesitation in my mind, this is the single greatest sentence sermon ever preached. It is. This is the best sermon anybody's ever preached. And Jesus' mama preached it. Whatever he says, So ladies, there it is. Whatever he says, do it. Now let me break it down because you expect more than this. In a sermon, I got to have three points, so here they are. Number one, it's the what of obedience. What? Whatever. What? It's whatever. Whatever he says. In that word, whatever, we have implied the total waterfront of faith obedience. So, guys, let me tell you, it doesn't matter what it is that Jesus is telling us to do, our obedience should be immediate, it should be intentional. And it's got to be irrevocable. Whatever he says, do it. I love what C.S. Lewis once wrote. Instead of asking yourself whether you believe or not, ask yourself whether this day you have done one thing because Jesus said do it. Or once today, abstain from doing something because Jesus said don't do it. It is absurd to say that you believe in Jesus if you do not do what he tells you to do. Amen. Woo, man. Amen. So whatever, whatever he says, do it. Now, ladies, this, this sermon is so simple this morning. Two, two things about this statement, this sermon Mary preached and every point I make. Two things. Number one, you need to learn that. I mean, we all do. That's not just for mamas in here. That's for all of us. Whatever Jesus tells us to do, whatever it is, we need to learn to do that. But for you mamas, lesson number two, you need to teach that to your kids. You need to teach them. Whatever Jesus says, do it. So we have the what of obedience. Number two, the who of obedience. The who. Who's the who? Come on. Who is the who? It's Jesus. 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 Again, Mary's standing there. You see Him? You see that man over there? That is my Son. But He's not just my Son. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. He is the bright and morning star. He is the lily of the valley. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Advocate. He is the Lamb of God. He is mighty God to save. And over there is Jesus. And whatever Jesus says to do, it's what you need to do. We need to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, church. Such obedience is the essence of Christian living. Writing to his converts, the Apostle Peter said, As obedient children, be holy in all your conduct. What do obedient children? They are holy. They, They do the word of God. So from the moment of trusting the Savior, right through the end of our life journey, our life must be lived in obedience to what Jesus says. So when you read the Bible with the intent of obeying whatever he says, spiritual light seems to flash out from the pages of the Word of God, illuminating God-given truth to us. Let let me give you three really quick examples of this. When it comes to the question of prayer, what did Jesus say about prayer? Jesus said, men ought always to pray so they don't faint. And then we have the command that comes back, whatever he says, do it. (laughs) So you need to be praying, mothers. What about the question of Bible reading? What did Jesus say? He said, search the Scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And then the commandment comes back. Whatever he says, do it. So search the Scriptures. What about the issue of evangelism? Well, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses unto me to the end of the age. And then again the command comes back, whatever, whatever he says, you do it. it. It comes down to the simple matter of obeying what Jesus has told us to do in this book right here. Yeah. Ann Sullivan very quickly learned the importance of obedience when she started teaching Helen Keller, who was then six years old at the time. Said Sullivan, I saw clearly that it was useless to try to teach this little girl anything until she learned to obey me. I have thought about it a great deal since. And the more I think, the more certain that I am that obedience is the gateway through which knowledge, yes, and even love enter the mind and the heart. So ladies, whatever he says, Jesus says, you do that. And then number three, the do of obedience. The what, the who, the do. (laughs) I love my outline today. I love to just say it. The what, the who, the do. The what, the who, the do. One more time. The what, the who, the do. What's the do? That's it. Nike didn't come up with that. Mama did. Whatever Jesus says, do it. That is, roll up your sleeves and get to it, man. The Apostle Paul said, we, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. James affirms, faith without works is dead. So ladies, men, people, do it. Mamas, I can tell you, the greatest acts that you can have serving the Lord, the greatest thing you can do in serving the Lord Jesus Christ is raising your children to know and love Jesus Christ. Without a doubt. Billy Sunday was raised by his godly mother on a Midwestern farm. His dad died in the Civil War. Billy Sunday became a famous preacher, and he gave the credit to the Lord and his mama. Billy Sunday initially gained fame as an outfielder for the Chicago White Sox. They say he was quite a baseball player. But his career was marred by drinking. He'd get drunk, and then he'd get mean. (laughs) But one day, God changed all of that. One night, he was drunk as a skunk, staggering down the street, and he heard the Salvation Army group singing a song that his old mama used to sing. Where is my wandering boy tonight? Later that evening, after God sobered him up at the Pacific Garden Mission, Billy Sunday gave his life to Jesus Christ, and he soon left the baseball diamond for the pulpit. I would have loved to have been able to watch Billy Sunday preach and listen to him preach. They say he was a dynamic guy. He would would come out on the stage with huge audiences and run across the platform and he would slide into the pulpit like he was sliding into home base. And the crowd would just erupt. I mean, he was one of these preachers. He didn't give a rip what you thought about him or what you thought about what he preached, man. He just preached the Word of God. And he did it with power, and he did it with authority. I've seen dozens of, of pictures and posters of Billy Sunday, and he, every time I see him, he's, he's like this—he's like swinging or kicking or doing something like that, man. He just... and, and almost on every caption is Billy Sunday fighting the devil. And man, he would—he man, I'd like to be. My my name is William. You can call me Billy if you want to. Well, among his bombastic sermons is one from Exodus chapter 2, verse 9. I've read this sermon a dozen times. I went back this past week and read it again. It's entitled Mothers. Exodus 2 9. What does that verse say? It's written about Moses' mother. And here's what the verse is Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. The, the, the daughter of Pharaoh is saying this to Moses' mother. You remember the story? Moses was born. They were going to kill all the baby boys. And she saw that he was a good little baby. She didn't want to kill him. So she kept him at home as long as she could. But, but he would cry and she couldn't keep him, couldn't keep him quiet. And so she made this little, this little basket. And she put baby Moses in the basket, took it down to the Nile River and let it float out on the river. Because she knew that Pharaoh's daughter was coming. Sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter came down there to take a bath. And she looked out there and said, what is that floating in the river? Somebody go out there and get it before the crocodiles get it. So they swam out there, and they got it, and they brought it back and opened it up. And again, I'm closing my eyes, and I'm, I, I imagine Moses just had a big old grin on his face. A little bitty baby, just maybe he's cooing. I don't know, maybe he's crying a little bit. But her heart melted for that child. She said, i got to take this child. Gotta, this child is going to become my child. Then she said, who's going to take care of this baby for me? Well, you know what just happened? That Moses' big sister was standing right there. And she said, i got a lady who can take care of that baby for you. And so she ran and she got her mama, which is Moses' mama. She brought Moses' mama back to Pharaoh's daughter. And here's what Pharaoh's daughter said to her. Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you for it. <laughs> Man, you can't get a better deal than that, mama, can you? For somebody to pay you to take care of your own baby? it not an awesome deal? Billy Sunday's whole message was on the line and the theme. Well, ladies, let me tell you something. God is paying you to raise that child for him. Get on God's payroll. Here's what he said. Love this. He said, mothers, being a king or an emperor or the president is mighty small potatoes compared to being a mother. Come on, ladies. Commanding an army is little more than sweeping a street compared to the training of a boy or a girl. The mother of Moses did more for the world than all the kings that Egypt ever had. Oh, you wait until you reach the mountains of eternity and then read the mother's names and God's roll call of faith. I tell you, women... And this is where he got down to it. Fooling away your time hugging and kissing a little poodle dog or drinking a cocktail and playing cards is mighty small business compared to the molding of a life of a child. And then he quoted Exodus 2.9 again. Take this child away and nurse it for me. And I will give thee thy wages. And he said, God pays in a joy that is fireproof, famine-proof, and devil-proof. He will pay you, ladies. Don't worry about it. So get your name on God's payroll. And he quoted again, take this child away and nurse it for me. And I will give thee thy wages. And he said, if you haven't been doing that, you need to get your name on God's payroll. so, ladies, would you come today and make that commitment? That not only are you going to learn the lesson that Mama Mary taught, whatever he says, do it. But you're going to make a commitment to God today that, to the best of your ability, you're going to train your kids and your grandkids and the next generations to do the same thing. Because that's the most important thing. Whatever Jesus says, whatever Jesus says, do it.